Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, it's the 11th summer season for finding God on your iPod this year. It's gone vinyl as we peruse the world of classic rock for some gems that might lend itself to spiritual reflection. Uh, We've retitled it this time around as Finding God on Your Turntable, since it's a vinyl classic rock edition. edition. We've seen what Jimi Hendrix and all along the Watchtower. We've had the Beatles Revolution. Last Sunday it was the Rolling Stones shine a light and now people are guessing that it's going to be the who because that would be who's next and who and you know Beatles Stones who well it's not it's not see I threw you off there uh, the, the artist is not the who uh, the fourth track in Finding God on Your Turntable comes from my number two artist everybody knows who my number one artist is this is my number two artist that is at least I have listened. This is the second most listened to artist in my musical universe. I own more. This is the second most that I own their music and that I've listened to their music. Um, the artist is Neil Young. Oh, did you hear that? People would be like, oh, people love Neil Young. There's something likable about, about, about good old Neil Young. There he is, Neil Young. Uh, Neil Percival Young, there's your trivia for the day. Percival, that's his middle name. Neil Percival Young, he was born in Toronto. He's Canadian. His father was a sports writer and a novelist, and he talks a lot about his dad in his very quirky, very Neil Young-like memoir I read a few years ago, Waging Heavy Peace. I love the name of that. Uh, Neil Young, he was in Buffalo Springfield to begin with. Um, anybody remember Buffalo Springfield? It's time we stopped. Hey, what's that sound? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could have used that song. Uh, for what it's worth. That's the name of that song. Hey, it's time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? When you start singing that song, you can't stop. It'll get in you. Just you go around all day long doing that. Um, he didn't write that song, though. Uh, Stephen Stills wrote that, but he was in Buffalo Springfield. And then he joined, kind of now and then, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So it's Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and sometimes young. You know, he's free spirit, comes and goes, does what he wants. But he's mostly known as, as a solo artist. Uh, he's put out 51 albums, and if you don't know, that's a lot. That's a lot of music to write and record, 51 albums. He's the... Uh, some, he has a lot of different monikers. One of them would be the godfather of grunge. You know, all those Seattle bands in the 90s, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, how they dressed and all that. That's just them trying to look like Neil Young. I mean, that's for real. That's, you know, they were like, they, Neil Young was their hero. And they said, well, let's wear flannel and look like Neil Young. Uh, uh, Neil Young, put up, that's Neil Young. Put up Neil Old. <laughs> there's, there's Neil Old. There he is. Still got that same guitar, that 1953 Gibson Les Paul. He's still kind of the same, you know. Uh, he's just Neil Old now. 
But I love him, and I love his music. He's still rocking in the free world. Can I get a witness? Um, the last time he performed, his most recent performance was July 14th in Kilkenny, Ireland, where he shared the bill with Bob Dylan. I, I actually thought a little bit about it, you know. <laughs> you know, it's only fly to Ireland, but to see Dylan and Neil Young on the same bill, whew, that would have been something. Um, Neil Young is a, he's opinionated. Uh, it's not hard to find out what he thinks because he'll tell you. He's an, he's an activist of sorts. Uh, Neil Young and Willie Nelson co-founded Farm Aid. He, uh, he's been a, an environmental activist since the 70s. He's very involved in that and trying to help him improve electric cars. He's into all that sort of stuff. Uh, he founded the Bridge School for Children with Physical Disabilities and pretty much uh, funds that through his fundraising efforts for his Bridge School concert, which has all these megastars that come and perform for free. And the thing is, you've got to do your music, but you have to do it acoustically. He wants it done that way. And if Neil says, come, it doesn't matter who you are. You just, yes, sir, and you, you show up because uh, it's all for a good cause. seems like a good man in that regard. Uh, so what, what, what song shall we use? Because we've got, you know, i got... This one is uh, Neil Young's greatest hits. Uh, Down by the River, Cowgirl in the Sand, Cinnamon Girl, Helpless, After the Gold Rush, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, Southern Man. Southern Man, you know, that, that was the song that Sweet Home Alabama is replying to. I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern man, don't need him around anyhow. That's Leonard Skinner talking back to Neil Young. Ohio. Uh, needle in the damage done. Old man, heart of gold, like a hurricane, comes a time. Hey, hey, my, my. Rock and roll will never die. Uh, rocking in the free world, harvest and moon. Perry likes that song a lot. Well, there are two Neil Youngs. You have to make a decision. There's, there's electric Neil with his 1953 modified Gibson Les Paul that looks like it's been through wars. It's all scarred and very cool. And then there's acoustic Neil. Uh, when he's playing his acoustic guitar, which was previously owned by Hank Williams. Think about the value of that guitar. Two owners, Hank Williams and Neil Young. And, uh, well, I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with uh, acoustic Neil today. I like both. I like both. I like electric Neil, rocking in the free world. I like acoustic Neil. And I'm going to go with Heart of Gold. Anybody know that song, Heart of Gold? It's off of his 1972 album, Harvest. I was 12 years old when it came out. I remember it well. Two songs from that album were on the radio all the time. Old Man and Heart of Gold. Um, it was the best-selling album in America in 1972. So it was a big deal. Um, so we're, we're just going to play the song for you. You're going to get to hear it. It's, I love this song. The backing vocals are Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor. And then at the very end, at the very just, I'm going to give you this little hint. The very end, it's only three minutes long, three minute long song. The very end, one more time, they sing, I've been a miner for a heart of gold. And listen to Linda Ronstadt as she sings the harmony. At the end, she does this little, she goes in this high harmony. I've, li- I've heard it a thousand times, at least, more, probably more than that. Probably several thousand times I've heard this song. And every time I heard that little Linda Ronstadt harmony at the end, I go, God, that's good. All right, so Neil Young, Heart of Gold.
song. Uh, I want to live, I want to give. I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give. It keeps me searching for a heart of gold. I'm getting old. I've been to Hollywood. I have. I've been to Redwood. I have. Across the ocean for a heart of gold. I guess I have. I've been in my mind. It's such a fine line. It keeps me searching for a heart of gold, and I'm getting old. He was 24 when he wrote that. <laughs> Just hold on, it'll all come true. No matter what age you are, you can always sing the line, I'm getting old, because it'll come true. This is not my first sermon on the heart of gold. I have preached based on Neil Young's Heart of Gold once before. You may have forgotten it, though. It was 30 years ago on a Friday night. In 1989, on a Friday night, uh, th that week I'd heard Heart of Gold on the radio. I thought, yeah, I love that song. And that's, I, I like the sentiment. I like the direction it's leaning. I like what it's appealing to. I think I could preach on that. And so I did 30 years ago. That was, I'm 60 now. That was half a lifetime ago. And about 3,000 sermons ago. <laughs> it's about 3,000 sermons between the two, so you may have forgotten it. Um, but back then, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell people what I was doing. It's a little more uptight, I guess. You know, I, I didn't tell them, you know, I was inspired by Neil Young's, because I just got to be inspired by the Holy Ghost, you know. <laughs> uh, I didn't tell people. I just, that's, that's what was lurking behind it. That's what inspired it, but... But uh, I didn't tell people that then. Nowadays, I just tell you. I just tell you this song. And, because see, here's how it works with me. My soul is saturated with Scripture. I spend hours, hours, hours every week, now for 40 years uh, or 45 years, uh, just in Scripture. That's, that's in me. It's just, it's just a part of my fabric of being. And art, songs, films, sometimes a poem, can connect with that. Or touch it in such a way that it ignites it. 
sometimes art will come into my life in the form of a song, a film, a poem, something like that, and will touch some of this, this uh, wealth of Scripture that's treasured up in my soul and activate it, and that's what, that's what happened with this song heart of gold. Interesting, uh, or maybe you'll find, maybe you'll find it boring, but I find it interesting. I was looking for that sermon. I have all my sermons, but this was before, this was before they had invented electricity, so, <laughs> so it wasn't on computer. Uh, it was handwritten, and I thought it came from the early 90s. I remembered the sermon. I thought it came, so I looked through all the sermons of 90, and then 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, and I knew I didn't preach it here. We moved here in 96. So then I went to 89. Oh, there it is. Found it in 89. Uh, but what that meant was is that, that I, I went through seven years of sermons this week, um, which is like 700 sermons because I was doing 100 a year back then. My, I've come a long way. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Um, you know, you only get to where you're going by walking the way. You, 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 can't start, you can't start on down the road. You just got to walk there. Amen. All right, so heart of gold. How about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, the apostle, writes, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. Every life needs a foundation. That is a base of deeply held convictions. Convictions are things you don't have to think about. Convictions are things that you don't change your opinion about, except it's a profound conversion if that happens. Convictions are something that you can build your life on that will make you a stable kind of person. Without a foundation, uh, we are building on shifting sands of changing opinions, and we are very easily moved in the moment. In times of pressure, if we don't have a proper foundation, our life can collapse in some form of compromise. Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount by talking about this. He says, now, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, you're like a wise person that builds their house upon a rock. 
And it'll stand in the storm because if you don't, you're building on the sand. And when the storm comes with its winds and its floods, then the whole whole edifice is going to collapse and great will be the fall. That's what Jesus says. I have built my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ and I hope you have too. Now by this I mean that Jesus is my most deeply held conviction. Jesus is the organizing principle of my life. Um, I want my life only to make sense if Jesus is Lord. If Jesus isn't Lord, it's fair to call me a fool. I'm willing to take that risk to be a fool for Christ. Because I've chosen Jesus as my foundation. I'm putting all, I'm just betting everything on Jesus. I'm putting everything on him. He's the foundation. He's the, it's the organizing principle. My, My life only makes sense if Jesus is Lord. I want Jesus to have the final say on everything in my life. It's why eventually I changed my views about Christians and war. Not because I wanted to change my mind, but because I wanted, to, I wanted to submit everything to what Jesus taught and said. I want my life uh, to be lived with a real conviction that in the end, that in the end, my life will be judged by Jesus. Analyzed, evaluated, performance evaluation. Oh, sit down, Brian. We're going to evaluate your life. I mean, I I want to live with that conviction. The Apostle Paul said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. At some point, this journey of life as we understand it concludes. And then what? It's appointed that each one of us live our life, die, and then comes a judgment, an analysis, an evaluation. We confess that Jesus is the judge. That that to die, in fact, is to encounter Christ. Because he is the one who has the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the one who has filled all things everywhere with himself. Jesus is the one who has conquered death and filled death. So that to die is not to encounter death, but to encounter Christ. And to encounter Christ is to be evaluated, to be judged. Jesus is the one that judges our life. And by the way, we already know this. We already know, There's this, certainly I think everyone in, the, in Western civilization knows that Jesus is the standard by which our lives are judged. What is a, what is a life well lived? What does kindness look like? What is, a, what is a life that is wholly lived according to love? It's Jesus, and we know that. So Jesus is the standard by which we're judged. Well, Paul here describes this judgment as our life being revealed by fire. Um, this, is, this is the fiery river of God's love that flows unendingly from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of God's pure love. God is love. And Jesus is the logos of God's love made flesh. And to stand in the presence of Christ is to stand in the presence of pure love. 
And there flows from the heart of Jesus a fiery river of love that we all must pass through. That is, that when we stand in the presence of Christ, our entire life is evaluated according to love. All who pass through the fire of love are saved, but it may involve a painful purging. There may be a purging. Paul says there may be some things that are lost. That which resonates with love, that which corresponds with love, that which we have done in our life that came from the same place as love, it's like gold, it's like silver, it's like a precious stone, and the fire does it no harm. If the fire affects it at all, it only purifies it. The fire doesn't destroy the gold or the silver or the diamonds. But if what we've done, what we built our life upon, what we thought was all important, oh, you know, was to make some money or to get a name for ourselves or to have a position and all of that, that's wood, that's hay, that's straw. And when, that, when you try to take wood and hay and straw through a fiery river of God's love, you get on the other side, whoa, there's nothing left. And you suffer a little bit of loss. Or maybe a lot of loss. I don't know how severe that suffering is. To look back upon one's life and say, well, that was pretty much a waste. I think there would be some suffering involved in that. And then Paul tells us that the thing which is ultimately judged and ultimately revealed by the fire is our heart. Is our heart. He says, therefore, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. You're not the judge. Everybody say, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. What a relief. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. The Lord is the judge. Who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. The purposes of the heart. That's what gets judged. Now, what we do in life matters. It really does. What we do matters and it will be judged by Christ. But why we do what we do matters even more. That's profound. What we do matters and it will be judged by Christ. But why we do what we do matters even more at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the secret that only Christ can reveal. You and I should refrain, I think, I know, from trying to evaluate other people's motives. Because the truth of the matter is we don't know. Right? Uh, Christ alone knows these things. This is the one who looks into the heart. Not you and I. So why we do what we do matters more than the actual thing that we do. And I'm convinced that those who do the wrong thing from the right heart will fare better than those who more or less did the right thing but from a wrong heart. And this, this, this touches upon the situation, I think, of the Pharisees who oftentimes said and did things that were more or less right, but so often it came from pride or it came from ambition or it came from a, a sense of superiority and all of those sorts of things. So I think much of the time... Those who do the wrong thing, but from the right heart, will fare better at the judgment than those that did the right thing, but from the wrong heart. So I want to live, I want to give, I want to be a miner for a heart of gold. I don't want a heart of straw, a heart of wood, a heart of 
Hey, I, I want a heart of gold. I've been to Hollywood, I've been to Redwood, across the ocean for a heart of gold. I've been in my mind, it's such a fine line. Keeps me searching for a heart of gold. I'm getting old, but I want that heart of gold. So what do we mean by our heart? We talk about the heart, but what do we mean by the, what is the spiritual heart of a human being? Well, a long time ago, the theologians would speak of the heart as the seat of affection. The center or seat of our affection. And I think that's about right. Because at the center of who we are is what we love. Who are you? You are what you love. I mean, there's a reason why universally the heart symbol is a symbol for love. You love something. Heart. I heart it. I mean, that corresponds. That's right. Because at the center of our human beingness is our affections, our loves. And we are what we love. Now, Jesus is very clear. I mean, Jesus is clear on anything. He's clear on this. This, he says, is the first commandment, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. I mean, Jesus is just reiterating what Moses and all the prophets had taught. This is the first. This is the first. This is the priority. This is numero uno, hermanos. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, this is contrary to the secular idea, the, the, the modern secular idea that the first love must be yourself. You've heard this argument. You've, everyone's heard You've all been subjected to it. And in a secular world, it makes perfect sense. They say, well, now before you can love anything else, before you can love a spouse, before you can love a child, before you can love a friend, you first must love yourself. You've heard lots of that kind of teaching. My life is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not a secular ethic of the first commandment is to love yourself. No, the first commandment is not to love yourself. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second comes along, and it's like it, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. I can tell you this much, though, because if you are resonating, well, right, but what about self-love? Look, if, if you know that God loves you, and that may take a journey, but if you come to the point where you realize that God loves you, and then you respond in love to God. Okay? We love Him because He first loved us. If, if, if you know that you are unconditionally loved by God and you respond to God's love by loving God in return, that will bring your soul into a healthy place of self-love, if you want to call it that. But it's not done by direct effort. Okay, I'm going to love myself, I'm going to love myself, I'm going to love myself. My friends, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Know that God loves you. Begin to give that love out to other people, and you will, you will find yourself rooted and grounded in love for God, for others, and even for yourself. Amen and amen. Um, it's as we love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves that we begin to find the heart of gold. That is the heart of gold. The heart of gold is the heart that loves God and loves others. Um, and the fiery 
river of God's love will only refine that kind of heart. Once you, once you really begin to have the heart of gold in that I love God and I seek to love my neighbor as myself, um, then, then the fiery river of God's love will only refine it. It'll only become brighter. It'll only become more light, more pure. But if instead of loving God and loving neighbor, your love is only directed toward yourself, well, when we do that, we don't form a heart of gold. We form a black hole. Instead of a heart of gold, you end up with a black hole. That is, that is a self that's collapsing in on itself. All I'm, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to put myself first. Not God, not others. I'm going to put myself first, and you're collapsing in on yourself. You're consuming, you're consuming, and what you do is you end up in this exponential collapse of the soul that turns into something like, in astrophysics, would be a black hole, a place of, of, of infinite gravity into its own self, and from which not even light can appear. We don't want a black hole, we want a heart of gold. A black hole at the center of the soul has something to do with what hell really is. I want to say that again. A black hole at the center of the soul has something to do with what hell really is. Fyodor Dostoevsky's Elder Zosima. Elder Zosima is a fictitious character in the brothers Karamazov, but he actually, Elder Zosima was a composite of two real-life monks that, that uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky knew. He went and spent several months living in a monastery after one of his children died, and it just crushed him. And in an attempt to find healing, he went and stayed in a monastery, and there he regularly met with two Spiritual directors is really what they were. Two monks that helped him. And he combined them into one fictional character in his greatest novel. And he gave him the name Elder Zosima. Here, here, here's what Elder, Elder Zosima says. I ask myself, what is hell? And I answer thus. The suffering of no longer being able to love. I think that just has truckloads of wisdom. I asked myself, what is hell? And I answered thus, the suffering of no longer being able to love. That's what can happen when, when your soul, if, if the love isn't going out, going out, but if it's only going in, that black hole in the soul is, I think, a lot what is meant by hell. I think that's what's going on. We're either moving toward the heart of gold of self-giving love, that's, it's outward, it's going out, it's going out. Or we're moving toward the black hole of a self-inflicted hell. That is, it's inward, we're always consuming, 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 consuming. And then eventually there's not enough to sustain it and it all just collapses in on itself. And you're hardly a soul anymore, you're just a former human being. That, that barely contains the image of God anymore. You've sought to eradicate it. Some people do great damage to their heart by loving all the wrong things. Lo love is what the heart is about. It's the seat of the affections. It's the base of love. 
Some people do great damage to their heart by loving all the wrong things. Even Christians can do this. I've seen Christians who've actually come to love meanness, cruelty, revenge. They find a way to do it in the name of Jesus, which is very depraved, very deceptive. Um, And when, when Christian people actually come to love meanness, cruelty, revenge... This is a spiritual catastrophe of the highest order, and it's very difficult to escape from. I mean, we're told not to do that. Micah the prophet, God has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So never admire cruelty, arrogance, meanness. Admire the opposite of it. Admire justice. Admire kindness. Admire humility. And because of the mimetic nature of human beings, that is, we learn to value by what other people value. Rene Girard has shown this conclusively. We like to think, we pretend that, oh, I, I, I am the arbiter of my own taste and I only like what I like and, and I, I have sophisticated taste and that's a form of self-deception. We learn really to, to like what other people like. We value what other people value, which means that you have to be careful who you are allowing to influence you who you're associating with. So never connect yourself with people who value meanness, cruelty, arrogance, revenge, all of that stuff. No, 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 no. Because you'll begin to mirror that and it'll do great harm to your heart. Hearts can and do change over time. So know that. The heart is changeable. A, a tender heart can become uh, hard and bitter. That can't happen. Sadly, I've seen that happen. Don't let it happen to you. Resolve not to let that happen to you. Stay, stay attuned. I mean, ever so often reflect on what is the condition of my heart? What am I loving? What am I feeling? What is my general disposition toward others? But uh, they can move the other way too. The prophet Ezekiel, and I think it's in Ezekiel 36, when he's anticipating the Spirit being poured out, says that as a result of the Holy Spirit, the holy attitude of God, the holy intention of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that what will happen is that hearts of stone will become hearts of flesh. Hearts that have been hard, incapable of love, Scrooge-like, can have an experience where you know, Scrooge is converted. And what is his conversion? It's a conversion to love and kindness and mercy and compassion. And, and this, this can come about... By work of the Holy Spirit. A heart of gold is a soul that is properly formed. I think I've think I've just hit it right there. I finally got it. A heart of gold is a soul properly formed. And remember, that's the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. We could say it this way: the primary purpose of prayer is to form a heart of gold. That's why you can't be left to all your own praying. You need, you need prayers that will move you in the direction of love. Love of God and love of neighbor. And so you need a liturgy that's well crafted. And that's what I teach in prayer school. You should come to it. September 6th and 7th. Got a discount code for you in the bulletin. Just pay for your lunch essentially and, and come. Alright, I'm about done. 
my time's about up. I, I want to say something personal, and I don't like to say personal things. I'm not a real, you know, I'm guarded much of the time. Uh, but I will say something personal. I will say that the Holy Spirit has been of late directing me to pursue a gentle heart. That seems to be an emphasis, that I need to become more gentle. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Americans, and especially American men, can be women too, but more often among men, American men are formed in a cowboy myth that generally dismisses gentleness as weakness. American, especially men, are generally formed in a cowboy myth that gentleness is actually weakness. This is a lie, by the way. It's, in fact, it's a demonic lie. To value violence instead of gentleness is purely demonic. Uh, the John Wayne ethic is a myth and a lie. The Jesus Christ ethic is the way, the truth, and the life. And they are mutually exclusive. You cannot hold to the John Wayne myth or... Let's say it this way, because keeping with our text... You can't build on the John Wayne ethic foundation and build on the Jesus Christ foundation. You don't have to choose. I mean, you say, but I really love John Wayne. Okay, fine. But you have to decide, do you trust him more or do you trust Jesus more? Is it John Wayne and his six-shooter or is it Jesus Christ and his cross? Dang! That was just cold to do that. All I know is that in my long and winding journey, I've come to understand that to live gently in a violent world is part of the counterculture of following Christ. I want to live. I want to give. I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give. Keep me searching for a heart of gold. I've been to Hollywood. I've been to Redwood. Across the ocean for a heart of gold. I've been in my mind, it's such a fine line. It keeps me searching for a heart of gold, and believe it or not, we're all getting old. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. We're going to come to the table of the Lord, and uh, this Sunday is the first time for the new sixth graders in six, seven, and eight to join us for communion. Is that who you're leading in here, Pastor Jacob? Give all these sixth graders a hand. We're going to put them at the head of the line here. All these sixth graders joining us for the first time and for communion, that's, that's a holy thing. That's wonderful. Good to have them. We're all going to come to the table. Lord, everybody's invited. Every, every single person here is invited. We want you to come and we will offer you Bread and a cup, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and participate in the life of Christ. Let's confess our sins before a merciful, loving God, receive His forgiveness, and come to the table of the Lord together. Pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Amen.